0: Hi everyone and welcome to Queer Reflections, the podcast where we discuss queer representation in our visual media past, present and future. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and support this podcast. To find out more and follow along, see at Queer Reflections on Instagram. If you like what you hear, please think about leaving a review on your podcast provider. Hi everyone, and welcome to season two of Queer Reflections. It's amazing to be back. Sorry it took so long. I had a lot on and wanted to make sure that I was delivering the best that I could on this season. So we've had a lot of time to get stuff together. And today we have our first episode and I wanted to start with something a bit different. Now, today I'm joined by my friend Roland, who I've known for about nine years now. So Roland does drag down in Cornwall under the pseudonym of Roxy Moron, one of my favorite drag names ever. Now, when I started this podcast, it was kind of the end of COVID. I want to say the end of COVID, even though COVID is very much still around. But it just it's definitely something that started in kind of COVID lockdown, something that was uh, just me in a room uh, over Skype talking to an interviewee about their kind of experience. But I definitely wanted to take it into the real world where possible and do kind of live screenings and Q&As. So today I've got the first chance to do that with Roland as a Q&A guest. So I asked Roland what he would like to screen down in Cornwall at the Poly. So shout out to the Poly for letting us run the event. And he asked for us to screen to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Now, this was a film I had not seen before, so I watched it in previous for the event, and then I watched it again at the event. It is a film that is often brought up as something that was kind of helpful for any queer identity and kind of working out their identity. It's something that consistently came up. I'm very surprised I hadn't heard of it before. Uh, about two years ago, where it kind of cropped onto my radar, especially when it was kind of of the 90s in the sense of it sits with other films like Birdcage, Mrs. Vibe Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, as kind of a a really important film that came out in 1995 under Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Company. So it was was given a lot of prominence when it was released. So that's really exciting and something that I felt like I would have really benefited from when I'd uh, seen it as a kid. So it was really exciting to watch this film and grasp it. I watched it with Luke and we both really enjoyed it. And then I think I even enjoyed it more the second time in the poly because it was among kind of a crowd experience and I was able to appreciate the nuances a bit more. Now, if you haven't seen Too Wong Fu before, I'd recommend going to watch it before you listen to this podcast as there will be spoilers. I really, really do feel lucky that the poly allowed me to run this event and that Roland joined me to have a good chat about queer identity, queer representation and 2-1-Fu. So I really hope you enjoy and I hope to do more events like this in the future. I'll see you in a second. host today and to watch that film on the big screen. I feel like that is the second time I've seen that film which, to be honest, I wish I watched it a lot younger. I feel like it's definitely one that would have had an effect on me and clearly had an effect on you. But before we get into that round, I thought the first thing I want to do is ask you about your journey to drag. Wow. It started a
1: really long... Actually, okay, this is really embarrassing. The first time I ever did drag open quote close quote I was about six and my parents were really late picking me up from school <laughs> this is so embarrassing and I remember them picking me up and I came down from this Wendy house in my classroom with a massive hat and a string of pearls and then about five years later I did a year six talent show dressed as Kate Bush and I sang Mothering Heights <laughs> and I won um, and it kind of spiraled from there in ten years well well, I'm 30 now nearly, so here I am. But yes, kind of properly started at university. Okay. Actually, it's just a joke for a party. thought, let's go for it. Let's do something fun for Halloween. How oh, what did you do? Um, I went out in a bikini dressed as Lady Gaga okay. for my first Halloween party at university. Thought, why not? And people were like, you look really good. Come and model for us. Come and model for us in our photography project. So I did. And then that's when I was like, oh, I sing as well. So let's not do all this cool stuff together. And then Roxy was born a few years later. and So where does the name Roxy Moron come from? So I didn't have a name for a really long time. Okay. And then Roxy Moron came from my English degree. And I thought, oxymoron is mixing when two things go together that shouldn't go together but work really well. And I thought the masculine, the feminine, glamour, out of drag, I'm not overly glamorous. <laughs> if you see- I would definitely that, say that you are. Oh, thank you, that's very sweet. If you saw me about three hours ago, I did not <laughs> I did. look glamorous at all. Uh, when well, you did. <laughs> So yeah, I kind of wanted to bring things together that shouldn't go, but actually
0: make something that really work. I remember the, probably the first time yes. I saw you drag was by social media, and it was my Cyrus drag, I
1: believe. <laughs> yes, that was another uni drag adventure. And I think it was my Cyrus. Is
0: it Ball era? Yeah, I remember that. I grew my like... I
1: grew my roots out on purpose, <laughs> so I didn't have to. Um, yeah, so I didn't have to wear a wig. Um, And again, I just went out in a bikini. I'm wearing an awful of clothes tonight, if only people could see. (laughs) We both work in education. Yes. So
0: I want to kind of just walk down that pathway and think, what what do you feel about being kind of an openly gay educator? Is that something that you consider in your role? Yes. And often I
1: felt like I am the face of the queer community Mm -hmm. at my workplace. Um, I often... um, I'm the first person people come to with regards to kind of representation of pride at work and all of that so and I'm often one to kind of call out the fact that I don't feel like there are many openly queer people at my workplace yeah and I think it's so important to have kind of young people to have role models and people they can talk to and everyone that works in education should be an ally mm-hmm. but actually young people need someone that maybe has the similar lived experience yeah so yeah I'm very much uh, an advocate for that
0: did you have anyone when you were growing up in education that was kind of that person for you? No, no.
1: Lots of female, lots of feet. I was always drawn to female teachers, yep. um, and I'm sure lots of young queer people are as well. Um, but no, I don't remember any, any sort of queer teachers when I was growing up at all.
0: So I'm um, given to understand that no, none of your education was ever kind of touched on, gay representation or anything like that. Never, never. No. no. So really it did come from kind of the, the media around you and things like that. Yeah, media. And I
1: remember being, I just went out when I was 18 by myself mm-hmm. to the gay bar alone and just came across lots of really cool people and found, I sounds so cliche, <laughs> but I did find people that were similar yeah. to me and those people have I've stuck with us the whole time. Yeah. I still see them and yeah, but you had to go out and find it. They didn't come to you on a plate. And I think even more so down
0: here in Cornwall, that it, we're a close-knit
1: bunch. Really close it? And I think growing up, you don't know that. Mm-hmm. And then you've, you've got to find it. But when you go out and find it, you realise how much there is. And I'm um, in the audience tonight, we've got our chairman for Cornwall Pride, and it's amazing to see yeah. the work they have done and continue to do to bring the community together. And it's just incredible. But when I was little, I didn't know about that, and that's really sad. So I like to think I can be a, what a small voice that hopefully shouts quite loudly for young people out there today. No,
0: I, I definitely feel like you are, and you've had a massive impact on my journey as well. So thank you oh. for that. Uh, not to get emotional. Well, well now, <laughs> I feel, now I feel slightly like <laughs> old, which is not okay. No, no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> so what would you say your favourite thing about being a drag performer is?
1: Oh,
0: okay. So there's a few things. Okay.
1: So, the first thing I think about drag, I love the fact that I can put all my problems to one side, mm. whatever I'm going through in the week, it could be a crap week, mm. whatever, but actually at the end of the week I can put on all this makeup, wear a wig, all this ridiculous outfits, whatever, and just be someone else for the night and make other people smile and laugh. And I love being on stage and I love singing, I love dancing, but... I think it's something that's even more important than that is going out and educating people. Yeah. I'm able to be on a platform where I can speak to lots of people and actually changing opinion, challenging stigma, challenging backwards views, whatever, however you want to put it, is so much more important than singing I Will Survive, which is equally fabulous. <laughs> but being able to change the opinion yeah. of others and kind of hope for better is so much more important. And if I can do that while looking this good, then I'll take it. Yeah, and I, I,
0: and I think that's really an interesting point because even when you are singing I Will Survive or any kind of equally amazing ballad in drag, I think you are making a statement without necessarily going to the point of kind of maybe speaking about statements. And it's the same with anyone who belongs to the LGBTQIA community, just existing and being visible is a massive thing.
1: So. Yeah, And RuPaul always says it, doesn't he? And it sounds really cliche, but... Anyone that puts on a pair of heels and a wig is a warrior. And I think it's yeah. really true. But I think queer people do it every day. And they put a mask on or, or they be themselves. But going out there is brave and it's scary.
0: And the world isn't always ready. But
1: tough shit. Yeah, tough shit. Here we come.
0: Yeah, uh, here we come. So what do you think about current drag representation?
1: I think it's very... I'm torn because I love it and I... I'm the first one to say I'll buy into RuPaul and the culture around Mm -hmm. that. But I think it is very limited to a very certain ideal. And probably myself, aesthetically, I've bought into that. So I'm probably I probably perpetuate part of a problem being white, thin. I've got to call it out as it is, like, but I can't help that. I do eat a lot. But I think there is so much niche out there and there's so much creativity out there that isn't represented. On a wider scale, and yeah. I think it's sad that via say things like dragular and Instagram and stuff, there are pockets coming out, mm. which is great, but on such a small platform. But I suppose drag, as we know it in the mainstream,
0: started on a very small platform, yeah. And I think, regardless of whenever we talk about representation in the media, it is a small glimpse to the reality, and that will always be the case, even if it is because it, what the their 40-minute episodes? Yeah, for and that are really edited. Yeah, they're super <laughs> edited, and they've got a, I don't know, fit a story and develop all these things, so you're never truly going to get representation in the sense of a reflection or yeah. things like that. but
1: And it's hard when it's produced for TV, because it's produced, like the people are brought together mm-hmm. for a certain reason, and ultimately we always go, Rupert says it's my decision to make. So actually it's the sorts of one person. Is
0: that Do you believe
1: that though? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's some
0: producers <laughs> that are pulling the strings under the wig. I don't know, yeah. but... It is interesting to think of, kind of it, it as a, a machine and a, a manufactured machine, even though we maybe see it as very authentic and um, genuine. Yeah, we all,
1: and we all buy into it. Yeah, It's really funny because we'll, um, we'll call out as problematic, but we'll still watch it. Yeah. I want to know what the lips <laughs> I the watch office. every season. Yeah, I good. do, and I can quote it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's really
0: interesting. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about Tu Wong Fu then. So, um, yeah, that's why we're here. That but, is why we're here. Yeah. Where does that fit into your life? Where When did you first watch that film?
1: I watched Two Wong Fu when I was about 15, so I probably shouldn't have watched Tu Wong Fu. Yes. I had an art teacher who... Mrs Davis and she was really cool and she made me watch Grey Gardens, okay. Priscilla Queen of the Desert, <laughs> like the original documentary yeah. Grey Gardens as well and I am obsessed and To Wong Fu yeah. and she was like I feel like you all love these films and I remember watching them and I didn't really understand at 15 I just sat and read books mm-hmm. and wrote stories and was really nerdy and I didn't really understand the films I was watching and then I went to a little theatre school in Truro Playwright at the time and I remember the director saying you will you need to work at Madame Jojo's one day. And sadly, Madame Jojo's is now closed a big drag club in London. Mm. And then I kind of went back to Priscilla and I watched that again and 2 Fu and things like that. And I understood. Mm. And I was like, I could do that.
0: Mm. So they saw it in you before you has saw it in you?
1: Yeah, and that just shows that I was a really camp theatrical kid <laughs> at school
0: that I didn't realise. <laughs> I think that, like, I, and something that I've always looked up to you personally is that I don't think you are someone who necessarily had to unlearn a lot of kind of. I feel like when I met you at eighteen, so that would have been what eight, eight years ago. We've been friends now. Yeah. Um, you were you.
1: Yeah, and I've. It's I've never not felt any different, mm. and I know lots of people say I knew I was different when I was four, but I didn't. I was or I've always been myself. Yeah. And I've been very open about that. I don't think I had a uh, an awakening. As such, I've never known any different mm. to how I feel, and for so long I didn't even think I like like I didn't like boys. I just like I like books, mm-hmm. and that sounds like <laughs> sounds so stupid now thinking about it. But I just I didn't interest me at all, and I don't know.
0: I, it just was the norm. Yeah, I, and I think that's something that all queer people kind of maybe feel is that we feel well. It's my experience. I feel not. I feel normal. The world makes me feel not normal, mm-hmm. and for ages it feels like that. Well, from my experience again, I feel like I have to apologise for that, and it's a lot of I'm sorry, but it's this way for me, and
1: which is so interesting. because yeah. I feel I do not feel um, I love that for you at too. all, at all. Yeah. if anyone's got a problem I'm not apologising but it's their problem it's yeah. not my problem it's
0: very true and, and it's, it's the way I think I'm finally learning is that actually I don't need to apologise if I don't fit into um, kind of straight boxes no and things like that and places are very much built for straight cisgender people yeah and I feel like maybe into going into those spaces, whether it be work or anything like that, I always felt like I had to adapt to those spaces. And now I feel like I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. No. No. The
1: spaces don't adapt for us, so why should I adapt for them?
0: Yeah. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to take a second to talk about our sponsors this season at Ethos Made. Ethos Made specialise in making eco-friendly, sustainable and non-toxic coconut wax candles on the northern coast of Cornwall. Recently, they've released a prideful collection with three pride flag inspired candles that smell and look amazing. And even cooler is the fact that a portion of the proceeds goes to specific LGBTQIA charities. There's a the traditional pride flag candle with proceeds going to the Say It Loud Club, whose work helps LGBTQIA refugees seek asylum in the UK from countries where you can be persecuted for being a member of the community. There's the trans flag candle, which supports Gendered Intelligence, a trans-led and trans-involving charity that works to increase understandings of gender diversity and improve the lives of trans people. Their vision is a world where diverse gender expressions are visible and valued, and where trans, non-binary, gender-diverse, and gender-questioning people live healthy, safe, and fulfilled lives. There's also the Lesbian Flag Candle, which supports the Kaleidoscope Trust, who work to fund, fight for, and empower those upholding the human rights of LGBT people by working with governments, changemakers and civil society organisations to effect meaningful and lasting change in the lives of LGBTQIA people everywhere. Each candle is a wonderful refreshing scent called Pomelo and Pink Fizz. They provide extensive burn times, they last around 50 to 55 hours each. The scent is a nice sweet fragrance that mixes sparkling champagne with sweet grapefruit, rhubarb and juicy watermelon. You can find them at ethosmade.co.uk, that is E-T-H-O-S-M-A-D-E.co.uk or at their Instagram, at ethosmade, so that's at E-T-H-O-S underscore M-A-D-E. And remember to quote QR at the checkout to get 10% off your order. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our sponsors. Now let's get back to it. So when when we're thinking about T-WonFu, how is it to watch it today? <laughs> Interesting.
1: Like how, seeing how drag has moved on, Mm. but actually how much I feel like I love that element of how it's presented in the film. Mm. What do you mean by moved on? Like, I think how Patrick, especially how Patrick Swayze's character presents drag is definitely how I feel like Roxy is. Mm. Um, But I feel like it's become this less, I know there's something so classy about it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think nowadays it's who can kick the highest and do the splits the best. And I just, I mean, I'm probably bitter because I can't do that, but that's <laughs> fine. But I think some of the ideals in there Well, like, he was like coming up with a list of um, where homos go. Yeah. And I just think it's so problematic. Yeah. Watching it now, I'm just like, yes, they go there, but they also go to the same toilet yeah. as you and the same yeah. clothes shop or the same supermarket, like. Oh, it's it's a bit cringy.
0: Yeah, those elements are quite interesting to watch. And I think we can find them humorous because we obviously have the lens of history to kind of look through and it is a 1995 film. But yeah, moments like that, it's like, oh, this is the joke right now. And those moments kind of surprise me because the rest of the film feels very joyful and like the humor is very heartfelt and... I'm always waiting for those scenes to be over, as much as like I can understand why they're funny and they are to be laughed at. Mm. But it's like
1: in Priscilla, isn't it, with the bus scene where they go to the mm. town and then it's got like AIDS and a word I will not say on a podcast, mm. on the bus, and I'm just like, it's but
0: difficult. This is one of the reasons I think I enjoyed it so much is that because it's a film that came out in 1995 when gay representation wasn't it, like, wasn't great and most people would associate gay with AIDS. Yeah. and there's no mention of AIDS, there's not much negativity, obviously we've got the police character and that kind of storyline, but most of it is acceptance and it's joyful and there's, I don't know, there's a lot of kind of nuance and heart, humanization. I think of these yeah. characters that I just never would have felt i like have seen in the 90s.
1: And an attitude that is actually, we know but we, and what, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, and I think that was really important. I mean, obviously you've got like your Bobby race who are probably a bit just like head in the clouds, <laughs> don't have a clue. But I thought like Carol Ann's character is so important, and just like I knew you had an Adam's out from day one, but yeah, you're here, for, you've got my back, and I've got yours, and that's what a great place to live in. I think it reminds me a bit
0: of Bird Cage as well. I was when yeah. I was watching it. it- especially because Robin Williams is in it um, for that kind of short cameo it, um, among other cameos in there as well from RuPaul Lady Bunny etc um, but the kind of sentiment of Birkage and that feels joyous to me as well even though it's about kind of acceptance still and there's always that layer Yeah, it feels like it has that maybe it's just the 90s
1: yeah well you think all of those kind of really like massive quite a lot of queer films were uh, really monumental in the 90s mm. And at the heart of it is there is that sense of joy and fun because ultimately that's what life is there is hardship but you're never going to escape it and i often say that to my students i was talking to a student at work and i said you've got you've had this issue with someone saying something homophobic and Mm -hmm. i was like but you've now got to choose there are always going to be people out there that are like that and we do have to educate but within your education you need to think is this the right thing to do to retaliate Mm -hmm. or do you do you kind of try and rationalise or do you just focus on yourself and just being you and doing better? Whenever I'm
0: delivering training around kind of gender identity or kind of homosexuality and kind of equality and diversity in the workplace, I get a lot of people asking me how to call out issues at work. Mm-hmm. And I think they expect me to say that you should always call out. And the, the reality is that we should always call out whenever someone's being misgendered or saying something that is offensive. But it, it also... You've got to pick your battles as well 100%. and weigh up the safety of the situation. Yeah. like, it, I think we would be naive to say that you can always call it out. Do we have, you do have to weigh up the situation and think, actually, is this going to put me in the firing line? Yeah. And other things like that, yeah.
1: And I think as well, and this might be an unpopular opinion, but fighting is tiring. And actually, yeah. some days it is just enough to go out there and just get through the day and have a quiet day. Because mm-hmm. fighting is hard work.
0: Yeah, and I, I run a student Society uh, ex-college and one of the things I said when we started it was what do you want from the group? And they were like, sometimes we just want to hang out. Like, not everything has to be about us, like, kind of, I don't know, standing up and t- educating people. And I totally agree with that. Like, mm-hmm. it is amazing to be able to educate, but it is exhausting as well. It, yeah. takes it out of you.
1: But then if more people... Did a little bit of educating, mm. and that it would be
0: less tiring for everyone. Yeah, very, very true. So we, I think. I mean, we could all definitely do more. Um, so, how do you feel this film compares to preserve? Oh, because a lot of people are like one or the other.
1: No, I love both. Okay. I love both. Okay. Um, I'm yeah. I'm so like. Maybe it's just because it's drag. I'm so biased. I love it, and I just think it all celebrates fabulousness and that's great yeah. and that's all I want to do
0: Okay, cool. <laughs> no good, good answer yeah good no answer. I
1: can't I can't say one's better than the other because I don't it would be a lie
0: yeah okay no fair enough I'm gonna ask you the inevitable question um, I don't know what that inevitable no, question no, no. is okay well tension's killing me folks no. so how do you feel about kind of these kind of straight cisgender characters actors playing these characters I don't think any... Do you know what? I don't think anything of it.
1: I really don't. Yeah. And I think whether that's because of the time it was made, because mm-hmm. I think the equal argument is gay people should be able to play straight people yeah. if they're right for the role. Because yeah. then you have the argument of Eddie Redmayne playing Stephen Hawkins. Yeah. And actually, I just think it's acting. Mm-hmm. And I think it, we just all need to grow up about it.
0: Yeah, uh, and I'm like, I definitely agree with you in the fact that it's nineties, and to me they feel like really genuine, like genuinely f- fleshed out characters. Yeah, like I did not, I did not take offense so, to any of the portrayals. No, and it, it, and I think that's why when I, when I first watched the film, I was almost like hesitating for those moments that I was like, oh, this is maybe going to land badly, or the way that they're going to be treated is not going to be right, or. They're gonna maybe be overperformative but for some reason. It just like hits. It's so well done. Yeah.
1: and I think, and it's really interesting seeing the three characters because starting out, I probably was like Chi-Chi. Mm. <laughs> and I do have moments where I'm Noxy. Yeah, and I'd really like to think, that I'm just there. We go.
0: <laughs> no, <definitely>. who knows? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I'm not old enough to be a like that. <laughs> but. Um, So what do you hope to see from media going forwards of any sort of queer identity? What's the the hope for you for the future? I think there
1: needs to be, and what I'd hope for, is a more consistent representation across the board. Whether that is gay males, lesbians, bisexuals, transgender. I think it needs to just be a consistent approach all the time. And I think, like, I know Heartstop has been massive at the moment in the media and I think it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just hope that that is the start of something that is a little bit more diverse and not so sexualized. I think that actually is something that's really important. Media going forward needs to not be so sexualized and actually you can just have two men that sit and watch TV of an evening and eat snacks. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be this
0: taboo, raunchy, seedy thing and I think that's why, yeah. No, I would agree with you there. And I think that the best thing I've been hearing about Heartstopper is that people's parents are watching it. Yeah. Like, I've got trans students who are like, yeah, my mum just started watching Heartstopper and that's amazing. That, yeah, that it's so happening. good. And I think that the buzz around that is so good. Um, I found it very wholesome. Yeah. And maybe that's because
1: I'm getting older and I just want a wholesome, like, Walmart <laughs> TV <laughs> shows. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Um, I don't know whether there will be, but if there's any questions in the audience, please feel free. Um, yeah, so my
1: question is kind of from a uh, the conversation
0: I'm having quite a lot with, with gay men uh, around mental wellbeing and stuff, yeah. and um, accessing what we do and who we are, and kind of that, I don't know whether it's internalised homophobia or whether it's direct shame about being gay because of the way that we're brought up through society. Um, how does the conversations around past stoppers who on food and that develop when actually that internalized conversation
1: maybe
0: hasn't changed yet? The cogs are turning. That
1: cogs yeah. really are turning because I don't, it's really, that's a really hard quen- question for me to answer because I don't have that internal conversation a lot.
0: Um, because, my I just don't. I, th- I think I've definitely had that conversation, so I'll take this one. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think that I can. I don't think I'm ashamed to say it, but I think that I was always reluctant towards drag for a long time mm-hmm. and watching things like Drag Race because the way I was brought up was to be concerned oh. that being gay was a threat to maybe my gender identity and the treatment. And I think that I had to unlearn a lot of kind of problematic things around gender and. Internal misogyny and all these other things, uh, internal homophobia, internal transphobia, in terms of gender identity. So I think it's massive, and uh, things like Tuan Fu and any sort of media like this, I think, is a, a really good tool to unpick um, anything within yourself. But I think there's a lot more work to do and that for me starts in education yeah um, because i think it is such a kind of a powerful space for that and i'm in further education so 16 to 19 year olds but really gender conversations and kind of things about understanding of things like patriarchy and uh, kind of the way that the world sadly works and having those conversations at a younger age i don't mean in terms of kind of uh High, high level but kind of understanding the, these kind of functioning intersectionalities and things like that is a good way to maybe make people aware of privilege and aware of kind of how things kind of come to be so I think yeah I think it's a massive thing uh, specifically within kind of gay cisgender me, uh, men is that maybe the concern is yes they are gay but they can assimilate by performing specific masculinity traits mm-hmm. um and i think assimilation for me isn't the goal it's more just inclusion as we are rather than assimilation does that make sense? That makes sense And i think you touch on education
1: but i also think having spaces where it's okay to openly talk about that and um feel comfortable and i think doing drag doesn't make me any less masculine. Mm -hmm. Just because I look look super feminine doesn't make me any less, doesn't mean I sound more feminine. (laughs) Like, I think people are often quite shocked when I talk because my voice is maybe lower than they expect from my physique. And I think, yeah, having a space where cisgendered or anyone questioning their gender, I don't know, gay people together and actually putting them in a room and challenging it. Or have a room full of people with a drag queen in it or like challenge that why are you why meet me like what
0: what what are you questioning can I make this better for you can I educate you but even in spaces that are kind of dominated by straight and cisgender kind of identities I think that we maybe prioritise the comfort of those people over the maybe education and knowledge that would be good and kind of maybe level the playing field yeah I
1: think so, and I, it's sad that we do that. And I definitely feel that I don't always do that. And I would happily go into any space like this. Mm. And hopefully, small acts like that by lots of different people will change opinion and
0: make things better, but I don't know. I do I do find myself a little bit disappointed by older gay people I know and uh, maybe hold transphobic views and things like that mm. that are quite happy with the progression that their community so the G has made and kind of have stopped progress there but I think we need to remember that it was kind of trans folks that got us anywhere in the first place and we shouldn't kind of agree stop that
1: yeah and I I know and it's something I find oddly problematic because we reference ourselves as LGBTQIA plus community and I find the word community can be really lacking at times true so I think it all comes back to being together in spaces that are safe, but also challenging the spaces that maybe not are not.
0: Perfect, we rambled for a long time. Oh my I God, I, feel like I, I was starting to feel like Emily Pankhurst. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me and Roland, and um, Roxy Thank you so much for coming. Um, I think we're gonna be hanging about if you wanna have a chat, but yeah, awesome to see everyone. Take care, have an amazing evening. Thanks, folks. Woo! Thank you. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed that special episode with Roland at The Poly in Falmouth. Just wanted to say a massive thank you to anyone who supports this podcast, as well as to The Polly in Falmouth, who are currently running a campaign to save their stage, which you can find in the details of this podcast. So please go support them and check them out if you ever come down to Falmouth. Please let me know if you enjoyed the episodes and would like to do any events in the future. It would be good to screen any film that has kind of a queer identity in it and have a really good palpable discussion about it afterwards hope to do more of these in the future i will see you over on the next episode take care and have a wonderful day